This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Longwoods International, one of the premier research firms in the travel and tourism space in the world. Longwoods produces groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and service to DMOs in areas such as visitor research, advertising effectiveness, image research, and their new resident sentiment study. Learn more about this new breakthrough product and all their other services at longwoods-intl.com. And now it's on to our show. Today, we welcome an accomplished DMO veteran to the podcast, Dave Nolan, has logged over 18 years as a DMO CEO in such destinations as Milwaukee, where we had the opportunity to work together when I was in Madison, and Cleveland, Ohio. He got his start in our industry with Marriott, with management positions in Tucson, Denver, Los Angeles, Anaheim, St. Louis, Boston, and finally, the 1174-room downtown Chicago Marriott. That is a monster. And since leaving the DMO world, he's worked for Experient, Horizon Hospitality, Rawhide, and most recently, a successful realtor with Realty Executives International in the Phoenix Scottsdale market. And even better, he's a graduate of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, so go Bucky. Dave Nolan, welcome to DMOU. Hey, Bill. It's wonderful to chat with you again, my friend, and talk about the industry and a lot of time in between. It's good to be with you. Well, you know, the working title of this, and I'm not sure it's going to continue because you and I have had some conversations preparing for this podcast that we may not focus all of our attention on what befell you in Cleveland, but there are so many facets of learning, lessons learned, uh, opportunities to to sidestep some of the things that you did that made sense at the time. But looking back on it, you can see how some of your critics could misrepresent some of those moves to other people who really don't know much about destination marketing organizations. So the working title of the episode was Surviving a Media Storm, because that's really what it was. The spoiler alert is you didn't survive it. While you are today a very successful realtor in Arizona, you still are passionate about our world in destination marketing. And that's when you reached out a month or so ago and said, hey, it's been 17 years. I think I can tell this story. And hopefully some of the people that are listening will learn some things from the things that you did right and the things that you now believe you should have played a little differently. So let's get to your first question. It's the summer of 2003. Take us back to the days just before the media turned on you. You had been awarded the key to the city by the mayor. You had been intimately involved in new stadium development for Major League Baseball and the NFL franchise. You were killing your convention sales goals without a convention center. And you had a $300 million convention center project that was just on the edge of being approved. Your DMO was riding a sensational wave. What happened? You know, as a genesis to, uh, to this conversation, as you know, I mentioned that I was reading uh, Maya Angelou, and uh, one of the quotes really impacted me that she made. She said, I did then what I knew how to do. Now that I know better, I do better. Yeah. And that was really the, the thought as I thought about your podcast and the success that you've had at this stage of my fast forward now 17 years since Cleveland and a lot of road in between. You know, the only thing I can really pass on is maybe some information, some knowledge, some wisdom. But the overall thought is if I could help somebody that could know what 
I know now and circumvent 17 years, that would be great. So with that, to respond to the question and thank you again, man, we got caught up. We were doing the job as many of, of our peers are doing in the industry. We're building convention centers. We're building new stadiums. We're rebranding a city. We're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, really on the roll, I think, in 96 and 97. Travel and Leisure magazine had made us the number one destination in the world, which was unbelievable. Drew Carey really uh, went crazy with Cleveland Rocks, and we were on a roll. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, it all imploded. And to, to respond, when the media came after me, it was kind of popular at that time, and they were going around. And, for example, our friend down in Memphis, Kevin Kane, was under siege a little bit. I was under siege. And the distinction, I believe, in the pass-along and reflection is, how do you survive? I didn't. And I think the bottom line is that people like Kevin, very smart executive, uh, really continued to sustain the support of the community. And I think I lost track of all of the things that made me successful leading up to year 10 and in my 16th year of CEO leadership. And that's where I came back to you with the input that you know, this is really about a failure in leadership, even though the mechanism for the destruction, the demise, was the media's assault. But people who aren't getting the support usually have earned a way to that non-support as measured in different cities around the country, not even myself, that if there's a turn on you, I think you have to look inwardly to say, what turn? Why wasn't there support? Even when we're facing adversity, you would like to think that people would still stand behind you. And as you mentioned so properly and, and uh, proudly, going from the key to the city, to the key to the outhouse is not the way I'd recommend <laughs> your listeners to go. So at the end of the day, I think it's a leadership issue now that I see it in the rearview mirror. Rudy G, uh, when running for uh, mayor in New York City, talked about, did you make any mistakes while you were in leadership? And he said, well, there's, there's not enough time to talk to you about that. And so we are today. So it was a failure in leadership in my end of it. The, uh, the, the gun, the ammo used was the media, and I think, quite frankly, I failed the test precisely what I'd like to chat with you 17 years later to pass along some wisdom that might help somebody sustain their job. You've said it a couple times now in the first few minutes, and that's failure of leadership. And you're, I think, being a little hard on yourself. I don't think that it was a failure of leadership. I think that if, if I could opine, because I was watching as it came apart, I really thought that it was more of you were killing it yeah, and you thought everybody knew you were killing it and you took your foot off the gas when it came to interpersonal relationships throughout the community mm -hmm. because you were busy killing it, right? And I think we can all identify with that, that, you know, we've told everybody time in and time out what we do, why we do it, why it's important. And then we, everybody's nodding and saying, yes, we go, good, I don't have to do that again. And that's the mistake I think a lot of legacy or veteran leaders make is assuming that it's not Groundhog's Day, like the movie. Yeah. you got to yeah. tell them every single day. Yeah. And we don't have time for yeah. that, but we have to make time for that. And so, so let's move to that Sunday night yeah. when you were skewered on Fox 8 yeah. and then the local newspaper chimed in. Right. You had to wonder if somebody had slipped some bad mushrooms into your dinner that night. I mean, again, you didn't expect, expect this coming. You had an interview with Fox 8 that you thought went pretty well. Take us through the that evening and the following days. You know, how did your board chair, how did the board respond? How did the mayor, stakeholders, what happened 
when this all came about. And for those who weren't in the business that long ago or don't remember the story, maybe you should tee it up by saying, here's what they accused us of. Yeah, I think there was uh, any time a CVB might be under attack or, you know, some people have an agenda to change in leadership, you know, the finances are usually the culprit in the way that you can have exploitation of a, an organization. In this case, a long-term audit going through 10 years of all of our finances uh, leading up to this broadcast, uh, you know, the reporter spending three to four weeks in our office going through every expense account, going through committee reports and coming up with, you know, at that time, $100 million worth of revenue and then finding a handful of dollars that were suspect. Those were sensationalized. Uh, those uh, would include things like international expenditures, managing uh, parties for our staff, a trade out with the uh, local airline carrier, and the list goes on. So there was exploited that I make, you know, a pretty good paycheck and then having all these expenses and yeah, that's what made the headlines and that what, what made me suspect and led to being persona non grata from that point forward. And so history was written. The two that I remember from this story, still these 17 years later, was you got called out because a couple of your staffers took an intern out to lunch at a pretty expensive restaurant. But this was an unpaid intern who'd worked her butt off all year. And this was a nice way of saying thank you. And then there was the whole thing about you guys were using tax revenue to pay for a box uh, at the Cleveland Indian Stadium at the Jake. And somebody had seen you know, your board member or one of your staffers in those seats with no client. Well, that happens on a Sunday. And you guys took that asset and used it as a thank you. And you had strict policies on how it could be used, how many times it could be used a year. And, you know, those tickets weren't, I think it was like on 48 hours call, just in case a client came to town. I mean, you had this thing buttoned down. There was no abuse whatsoever. And in fact, the audit found right. that almost everything, if not everything, came back clean. The final audit did not show any wrongdoing whatsoever. Yeah, I think those are the things that get sensationalized. And that's why I go back to my opener that when something like this happens to the organization, are you still having the great support of the executive committee, the finance committee? Uh, is the board solidly behind you? Or over time, has there been gaps? And I think when you take individual situations like this, it's an incumbent on leadership to stand behind staff and the CEO. And then my big question is, you know, why was that perhaps absent when these things were board approved you know, and things that we did for 10 years. And, you know, sports tickets, international travel, all the things that can be sensationalized will be. But if you have the blocking and tackling in place, if you have protocols in place, and then you have board support, you should be able to survive. And uh, that would be an illustration of the Memphis situation where Kevin was able to uh, go through this and starve off what was then uh, media uh, uh, trying to get ratings, sweeps, sweeps reporting throughout the country. Some survived, some didn't. And I don't blame anyone uh, except myself for saying that at that time, I felt I was doing the right thing by saying, well, if I created this problem, I'll try to solve the problem on my own. And I think that was a bad mistake. I think you have to really believe and understand that you serve at the pleasure of the board and finance committee and under siege 
that you're taking direction and getting support from those same individuals. And I would be the first to admit that, you know, not in a cavalier sense, but I tried to be responsible that I would take on these charges myself. And I think that left me very vulnerable and leading up to all the success that we had, you know, the downside of always being the uh, pinpoint or the person who was leading all these campaigns is that you can get shot off those, <laughs> those lofty positions very easily. So the spirit of the people listening, I would recommend that work as hard as you can with the classic that we all learned in college, the art of doing things through and with people. And if you ever start to operate individually and then take on things individually, well, expect to be left alone. And leading up to it, I believe what's most incumbent is that when there's change in leadership, be it a new mayor, be it a new board chair, uh, public officials on the county or city level, man, you have to start all over and, and get in there and really begin to do what you did your first year. And I would be uh, less than truthful if this, I said I did that. And so this word that you and I shared about entitlement and maybe being in the job too long is don't ever forget the basics because those people, even if they're not directly on your board, still have a voice and you're not necessarily going to get representation and support from other public officials just because they are on your board. So you have to make sure that you're out there covering the basis with everybody in the community. So when the, the television cameras and other people coming after throwing stones, that you're undercover. And when you win the key to the city, it was obvious that we were doing things right for a long time under three-term Mayor Mike White, who really did wonderful things. And we were a role player and responded very well. But when things changed, you know, did I react as the chief executive officer, adjusting those to those changes, winning people over and making sure I had support. And there were a lot of things I think stood in my way because I was trying to get a $300 million convention center built. And I had told a lot of uh, folks who wanted personal agendas met, business agendas, no. And that wasn't very popular. So again, another example of, are you working with your convention committee and are you operating on policy matters, be it yes or no, as a committee, as a group, or as an individual? Well, <laughs> you know, knucklehead Dave's out there trying to do things on his own uh, without that support then therefore when it came down to supporting me at the end of here, I think I just had left people with question marks and they weren't sure, you know, did, even though, uh, you know, I, I think we had our protocols with signatures in place and board approval on things, you know, there were some prizes, you know, we took good care of our staff. We tried to celebrate our staff. I know I got hit with sending my VP of sales, who was a great guy and I still love it to this day, you know, 50 uh, flamingos on his front lawn for his, for his birthday, you know, got crucified for that. So, you know, that's the opportunity. I think we can do these things, but you have to toe the line. And um, after 10 years, my message would be, or 16 or 18 or whatever the amount of years chronologically were, <laughs> that just never forget the basics. Make sure it's always a tight ship. Make sure that you aren't as vulnerable in any area of finances. And then uh, when dark days come, uh, and you're going for cover, make sure it's the cover with the board. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the primary reasons that they're there. And in our pre-call, you uh, you said something that I thought was was fascinating. You said, you know, we expect untested rookie CEOs to get caught by the media and make these kinds of mistakes, right? 
but you were a seasoned veteran. And so it's, it wasn't a rookie mistake. You said you made a veteran mistake, which is, as we've been talking through the, the past 10 minutes or so, is that letting go of those really strong relationships because you think that they're there and they'll be there for you. And yet in time, especially if the board hasn't been really, really focused, and that happens a lot of times with a veteran CEO because they know that the CEO's got it going on. And they don't have to be as focused as, as they maybe once did when you were a rookie or a first or second year CEO. But the problem is, is then when somebody says, you're doing it wrong, they don't know. And that's when they back off is, ooh, maybe he is. And I think that that's what happened with your board yeah. chair is they weren't sure. And so rather than, and we talk about this in the book, rather than saying, we stand with Dave, we are going to you know, order a 60-day audit and we're going to get back to you in 60 days, media, and we will share with you everything. But you know something? Dave and his team are killing it. We're going to let them get back to work. If we find that he's been doing some stuff that wasn't above board, we'll take the actions we need to take. But until then, until he's proven wrong, he's going back to work. That was probably, in hindsight, what they should have done because they lost a really seasoned, successful executive because now the court of public opinion made it difficult for you to come back. Well, I, I would have said, oh, gosh, I wish that would have happened also. <laughs> it, would have been, it, it would have been wonderful. Um, and in hindsight, as you suggest, I wish that would have happened and it would have not only vindicated and validated, but it would have been able to sustain my career. And as you know, it, for all intents and purposes, you know, I started at, at 33 in Milwaukee as CVB head and ended at 49 years old. Now I'm 65. And you know, you just can't recover. And so the long-term effect, even though the city has moved on and they've done extraordinarily well, and my the person who picked up the job after me has done an excellent job, I wish that would happen for millions of reasons because I really enjoyed the job, loved the job. But, you know, things happen and you take personal responsibility for it as the top person and the areas that I could have done better in, uh, which is the purpose of even having this discussion for your current listeners to say, you know, don't be like me, uh, be better than me. That that would be the girl. And I, but yeah, you and I, when we uh, were briefing about this, Bill talked about, you know, one of my heroes is is Tony Bennett at the University of Virginia. He took the uh, Cavaliers to the national championships, and he has certain pillars that he built his program success on. And I think had I really embraced at least three of those, I would have been in the job today. One was humility thankfulness and servanthood and that humility portion and thankfulness. I mean, I can't underscore that if I had just gone back as I performed early in Milwaukee, early in Cleveland with humility and really continued to work every new person that came to town for the right reasons. I think, you know, honey attracts, vinegar repels. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I think that if there was ever a study of the people who didn't fare these storms, you know, really was it the storm itself that allowed them to, you know, have to move on, or was it issues preceding the storm that led to maybe questionable support, as you suggested, not sure, and in our positions, you you know, you really can't afford that. You need to be sure, and you have to be out there and winning friends, influencing people, always communicating and remembering about servanthood and uh, who works for who. And, uh, you know, I think uh, maybe that got 
uh, twisted and reversed a little bit where I tried to run the organization too much on my own and it was a board run. I was a, a servant of the board and um, the people who have done it, you know, I admire so much. There's the Greg Edwards of the world. There's uh, Bonnie Carlson up in Bloomington. These are the folks that have made, lasted decades, not because they're lucky. They're very, very smart. And I bet if we talked to them, they would talk about these certain attributes where you never forget. You always perform and act like a rookie, but you have the wisdom of a veteran. And, uh, that's why I admire them so much. And uh, they're still in the job today. And uh, boy, I tip my hat to them for that. Well, and that teases up for the third question. And that is, one of the things you said to me is, we're all like this. I mean, most of us that are running DMOs, you know, and I did for 10 years, and I did many of the same things that you did in just saying, I'm just going to blow through this. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it done. I can't wait for my board. I'm just going to do it. And luckily, I survived those 10 years. But looking back on it, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm very lucky to have survived those 10 years because we were building a convention center and that's going to put you in the crosshairs every single day. Yeah. But you yeah. said that any yeah. CEO, regardless of how long they've been in their position, should look for a mentor personally. Yes. To both advise you on, hey, you're starting to slip out of the lines or to help you not allow your identity to be defined by your job. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think that's the key in hindsight being 2020. I think when one reaches seven years in the position, that's the crosshair opportunity. Either you're going to move on and continue to have incremental progress or you're going to fade and you're not going to progress as well. And seven years is a good time to ask in-depth questions. Then along the way, I mean, on an annual basis, and for those who are listening and currently employed today, I mean, there's things that you have to really ask yourself. It's number one, is your personal identity really defined by the job? Uh, mine was, and it shouldn't. Uh, but when I was all that and was on television and did all this stuff and did all this stuff, you know, and lost it, you know, it took me years to recover. And then therefore my character was suspect. And I, you know, you can't allow your personal identity to be defined by the job. You can enjoy it, but not defined. I think you really have to work with your finance committee today and ask them and ask yourself where you might be vulnerable. We talked, Bill, and you asked some really good questions about where we were vulnerable. Well, those sporting tickets, they're a big issue. How are you managing those? How are you doing? Again, I thought I was doing the right thing by having a calendar and catalog of the people who used our tickets. At the end of the day, that was all exploited. So the real question was, are we going to support the NBA teams and the, you know, or not? That's the, that's the bottom line question. The finance needs to get behind you. Can you imagine if we wouldn't support them in a major destination by not being at the games, purchasing tickets? But you can't use them when there's 180 tickets and 80 basketball games. So, but how, what's your policy on that? I think you need to have two signatures on every expense account. You know, I had one. You know, two takes a long time to get your, your check back, but it's worth it because at the end of the day, you have to have that documentation. Are you having an in-depth review with your board? I mean, like in-depth every year where they're asking you tough questions and you're asking them tough questions, but where do you stand? What do you guys like? What don't you like? You know, are you having that conversation with staff? I'm sure my staff at the end of the 10 years would have told me, a ton of things they don't really like as I evolved in my leadership. They might say some nice things that they like, 
But when I was in the executive search business, I can assure you that every new executive search we did, when we talked to staff, we always got an earful about, man, what all of a sudden they they didn't really like about the organization. So I think you one needs to go back and ask those questions and recommit to information. To be a contrarian uh, from a board's perspective is not suggesting I'm not going to be supportive, but they're going to give you the tools to success. And like you said at the opener, that mentor can be a person to hold you in checks and balances. So I believe that there's CEOs out there from corporate America that are approaching the age that you and I are now, Bill, <laughs> and might have some good insight. And uh, I wish I would have done that. Just sit down and, and talk about all these things about you're going through and that, that they can help you. You know, I mm-hmm. think if, uh, the big one, Bill, are you prepared for change or do you just, you've gone about your way for all these years and preparing for change is really an annual deal where you're looking at who the new mayor is going to be, who's new on council, who's new in leadership, and especially with that new uh, chair of the organization, to sit down and have a heart-to-heart and, and, and have a working philosophy is that I will adjust my managerial needs and style to the needs and style of the new chair is key. You know, I, I, you know, I never changed. I was like, oh, you know, this is the way I communicate. You know, I send a ton of emails. I, I try to communicate upward daily, but that may not be the need of the new chair. And so it would have been much more important mm-hmm. for me to adjust to her or his uh, needs than my own. And so the point and moral of the story is that there's a ton of people out there. You know, we had executive committee appointees from the county, but there were two other county executives. Well, you know, I I don't think I went out there and and really worked with them to make sure that they knew they had a vote in the organization because I relied on the executive committee appointee. You know, I didn't really know at the time, and you know this now, that we were under a siege with corruption. It started in 2003, and Finally, in 2009, you know, the biggest corruption case in in the history of Ohio took place mm-hmm. with the county executive and the county auditor. Well, the conversations that, you know, you have, I mean, almost everything's on the record. Who would know that, you know, back in 2003, when I'm having a conversation about county executive wanting to have certain dollar allocation to support XYZ small businesses, well, that information was being taped people that went out after our meeting reported back to the county executive and said, you know, we just met with the leader of the Convention Business Bureau and they're not going to participate. Well, the reply, which was being recorded, was, well, we'll have to take that person out. Uh, So I didn't know this. I didn't know this until, you know, 2010 when county executives sentenced to 28 years in prison and other, you know, 60 some other people had indictments. So the point of the story is not to elaborate and say, woe is me. It's just that, you know, everything that you do, and sometimes you don't even know what you're doing, can have a ramification. Mm -hmm. And, man, these are hard jobs. That's why they're paying the big bucks. And, uh, uh, you know, these are hopefully the points that, you know, I've made that can be helpful to someone. And I think it's fair to say also, Bill, that, you know, what is life like outside of, wonderful world we had. I would just say it's tough. 
man, I, I used to look at the big salary that, you know, I made and others are making, and I'm just taken back at some of the salaries that are out there. And I got to be the first to admit, I took it all for granted. I mean, my, my bonuses ended up uh, being more than I made some years. So if you're not employed and if you go out with uh, a less than rosy uh, brand, as I did, I mean, life is tough. And quite frankly, jobs are, you know, you can work for 60000 a year, 65000 But once you approach 55 years old, you know, people mm -hmm. really don't want to hire you. So I'm just saying to think long and hard about the job and how wonderful it is, what the industry is like. And I miss so much the, the fun we had uh, going to the events, being part of something as a community, leading, managing people. You know, and I don't get a chance to do that anymore. And it's tough. It's tough to make money. And I think I know, Bill, but I'm saying that's why I admire you and what you've done with your business, because those in our industry that have gone out and aren't guaranteed a paycheck at the end of every two weeks, man, it's a wake up call. And it's very, very difficult to make money. It takes a year to recover and you, you never really get a chance to have the benefits of the industry ever again. And I look back on those fond days and those fond memories, and I miss them. I enjoyable, and these are really, really good jobs. So I, I hope there's a humility that might come out of, of this discussion that gets passed on. I think there's some strategic things that need to be done, as I mentioned, with finance committees and chairs and protocols and committee on trustees and codes of conduct, yada, yada, yada. And those are the things that you advocate all the time. But now I say amen to so. And you know something, we miss you uh, in the industry, and thank you so much for bearing your soul. Uh, I'm sure that uh, those first couple of years, as you said, it would have, been, would have been difficult to have this conversation, but 17 years out, still stings, but uh, you have shared so many uh, great ideas and uh, lessons learned with all of us, and so thank you for that. It's time for your bonus round question. Can't let you go before that. I understand that there's a funny story about the time that there was the lawsuit between the NFL and the Cleveland Browns, and you were, no pun intended, you were the kickoff witness. So tell me about that. Well, as you can imagine, when the Cleveland Browns left and in the middle of the night took off to Baltimore, the people uh, and the fans and one of the largest booster clubs in all of pro football were devastated. So, you know, what are we going to do? The Browns are, are gone. And not only from our job with economic development, is where is all that revenue going to come from in the fall with the home games and, and uh, you know, the booster clubs and the, just the uh, Browns itself. So it happens right. that the two largest law firms in America happen to be based in Cleveland, and one of the firms is representing the NFL and one is representing the Cleveland Browns. About a year has gone by, and uh, they've left, and, uh, you know, we're out the money, and hmm. we file suit in order to get – uh, the Browns franchise back about $400 million, the use of the colors, so on and so forth. So the stakes are very, very high. Leading up to the trial, the community at large, which is hundreds and thousands of people, are in pins and needles, and, be, and it becomes particularly uh, pressure-packed because the two law firms are, are uh, headquartered in Cleveland. So I uh, was fortunate, to, or not so fortunate, to become the uh, lead kickoff witness and I'm prepped for the trial and, you know, the tensions there as we go into the trial and the courtroom is just quiet as can be, very, very pensive. 
you know, you could cut things with a knife from a pressure standpoint. And so I'm the leadoff witness and the NFL attorney comes after me and uh, the mayor's looking steely eyed right at me as I'm on the witness stand. And he's just kind of communicating with the eyes. You better not screw up and you're out of here. This is high stakes business. <laughs> and the uh, NFL attorney goes with me and he says, basically paraphrasing, you know, Mr. Nolan, I, you know, I find it incredulous that you'd be here today representing yourself as an unbiased witness considering your position in the city of Cleveland. And just for the court reporter and the jury and the record here, would you please indicate uh, formally to this audience that you are in fact are a Cleveland Brown fan? And I go, man, I'm telling you, now what do I do? I look at the mayor, he's going, you better not screw up. Not trying to be clever, not trying to be coy, just trying to be honest because that's the only thing I can know what to do with nerves pounding, heart pounding. I go, well, Mr. Uh, Attorney, if you're asking me for the record, if I'm a Cleveland Brown fan, I have to tell you, I'm born in Green Bay and I'm a diehard Packer fan. Oh, great. <laughs> and you had to be there, Bill, because of the courtroom burst out in laughter and so honest that it cut the tension like, you know, a knife. And that was my response. The mayor's given, you know, looking like a high five on the, on the side. And then the NFL attorney tries to recover from that. And he goes on to say, well, Mr. Nolan, we have a photo of a sign here located uh, outside in the city for people to see loud and clear. It says, go to hell, Art Modell. And Art Modell was the owner of the Browns. Right. Now, isn't, isn't that your sign? And wouldn't you offer that, Mr. Nolan? And I go, well, I've never seen that sign. And that sign, I believe, is in front of the convention center. I'm the president of the Convention and Visitors Bureau. I'm on the 31st floor of Terminal Tower, and that's in front of the convention center. So I have nothing to do with that sign. He just couldn't win, <laughs> could he? He couldn't win. So all of a sudden he just shuffles and all of a sudden the courtroom starts off. And, you know, fast forward, I'm at an Indians game about three or four months later after the trial. And the judge was there and he said, you know, I got to tell you, that kickoff uh, testimony you gave really set pace, the tone of the trial. So I thank you. And then he reiterates. And now you understand you had nothing to do with winning the trial because we won the trial because of irreparable harm and the way the lease was written that no amount of money and no amount of damages could ever, you know, take over for the will of the people and the love of the Browns from the people. So they wanted an irreparable harm. But he said, it's a nice story for you to repeat sometime down the road. So that was his story. Yeah. And I'm glad that you did. <laughs> hey, Dave, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule for this podcast. Um, I know how super heated the housing market is here in Wisconsin. And I know it has to be out where you are in the Scottsdale area. If anybody in the DMO sector is looking to move to the Valley, where can they find you? Well, hey, just look me up. Uh, I'm certainly online and I'm on YouTube all over. I'd love to help them, of course. We'll find them a great place and we'll get them a discount and uh, I'll help them uh, uh, get a deal that they they will love forever. It's it's wonderful weather, great place to live. And I thank you for the plug. Oh, absolutely. And hey, your uh, video series has been really great. I'm very impressed. Is there an address they can find you on YouTube for uh, the tips that you're offering on house hunting, house selling? and house maintenance? There should be. I think if they just go Dave Nolan on YouTube under 5-Minute Matters, uh, this, which is the name of the series, they'll see it. And then they'll also see how much I've aged in uh, 17 years. <laughs> no, you look good, man. And I have no hair. And, uh, you know, I have no hair. And uh, 17 years have gone by. But, hey, thank you. It would be wonderful to help them. And I miss the industry. It's wonderful that you would take an old fart like me. If there's any of the people who listen to your podcast, 
would I ever want any, you know, advice, quote unquote. I'm always there for you, no charge. I'd be glad to help in any way I can. Well, thanks a lot, Dave. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers that this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Longwoods International. You can find more on them at longwoods-intl.com. And dmopros.com is where you'll find our links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, along with past episodes of DMOU. That's dmopros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.